right, welcome to Warning Signs. This is our fall sermon series. If you're not familiar with what we're doing here, this is a series of sermons that I'm putting together, and each week I have a warning sign. And it, so far, up to this point, this is the fifth installment of this series, it's been a warning sign that is pretty much individual. It's for you. Eventually, we're going to have some warning signs that are going to uh, apply to, like, the world, the, the, the age that we live in. But we're not there yet. As a matter of fact, I'm spending many weeks, more than I intended to, talking about the life of David. And we're going to pick David back up again this morning. This morning's message is titled, Warning Signs, You've Dropped Your Guard. We're going to talk about the warning signs. There's going to be five things that I'm going to speak specifically that is a warning that you have dropped your guard. And we're going to be dealing again with the life of David. I've got a timeline, and we're going to try to remember to advance this every week. David's timeline. We started last week, uh, or last time we were together, we talked about David defeating Goliath. And now we have moved to the temple at Nob. You think the town you live in has a strange name. David is going to be slipping into the temple at a place called Nob. That's where we're going to pick his story up this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to ask you once again, if you would, to join me. I know you just sat down, but the Word of God is worthy uh, of our attention. And so would you stand with me? Uh, I only have a few verses this morning to read. I will warn you if you're planning to come to Super Sunday uh, tonight, if you've been on a word fast, you will overdose tonight because I loaded that thing with Scripture. I can't tell you how long I'm going to go. I'm going to try to save my voice tonight because I have no idea how long I'm going to go, but it's going to be full of Scripture. I've got more that scripture than some of you have read since Jesus was a corporal in God's army. And I want you to know that in advance, so uh, I'm going to try to reserve my voice. I'll try to be a little bit calmer than usual. So First Samuel chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Stop right there. David just lied to the man of God. The king did not send David. David is running from the king. The king doesn't know where David is because if the king knew where David was, the king would have David on a chopping block. So we, we already see that David is in the house of God talking to the man of God and compromising his integrity by lying to him, okay? And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Verse 3, now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand. There's no common bread. There's no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Mm -hmm. So the priest gave him holy bread 
For there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Join me as we pray. Father, we ask today that you would anoint this word, anoint me as your vessel, anoint my voice to be your voice. God, allow me today to make it clear, to make it plain, and to make those that hear it today to be receptive and to hear exactly the message that you have tailor-fit for their lives so that none of us will leave the same, but we will all be changed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated in his presence. As I begin this week, I need to give you some insight into what you just read, what just happened. Because it seems harmless enough, right? David is hungry. His men are hungry. He goes into the temple at Nob. He asks the priest for bread. And the priest says, we don't have any common bread. What we do have is the holy bread. But what you need to know is that the show bread wasn't made for just anybody to eat. As a matter of fact, go back and read Leviticus. And Leviticus will explain that once the bread in the temple was consecrated before the Lord, every week he would have to replace it. If you were here a few weeks ago before I started this series, I preached a two-part message called building maintenance. And one of the things we discussed was how the priest once a week had to take the old bread away and put new bread in its place, right? And the new hot bread was put before the presence of the Lord. But Leviticus says what's supposed to happen with the old bread is that it is given to the priest. It's for the priest and his family. It was part of the, uh, it was part of the employment package. It, it, was, it was part of being priest that him and his family would be supported by the temple. So they got to eat the bread. Now, again, that seems harmless enough, right? Nobody but the priest had right to this bread because it was part of the priest's support. I want you to understand, before I get started on my sermon, I just need to lay, uh, lay a foundation. Are you, are you following me? In the Old Testament, it was very important to God that ancient Israel would recognize that there was a difference between the monarchy and the priesthood. Those are big words. There was supposed to be a difference between the king and the priests. God wanted there to be a very distinct difference. He did not want one of them doing the job of the other one. He assigned specific duties to the priest. And here's what he said. He said, nobody but you should do these duties. As a matter of fact, there were responsibilities that he gave to the priest. And he told the priest, if anybody else does this, there will be a curse for it. And if you keep reading your Bible, you'll find out that there was a king named Uzziah. And Uzziah did something that was only supposed to be done by a priest. He burned incense in the temple in front of God, and God gave him leprosy. King Saul got impatient. I'd love to preach on impatience this morning. While we were singing gratitude... I just felt in my spirit, I, I, was, I was hearing a sermon preached to me, uh, some of you, how, how impatience is getting the best of you. How you're singing, I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, because all that I have is a hallelujah, that, that you got gratitude, but you really don't have gratitude because God ain't hurrying up fast enough for you, and you're trying to do things before their time. 
You're trying to open doors that God is keeping closed because you are in a big... I ain't got time to preach that, though. That'll have to come later. Saul got in a hurry, and he offered a sacrifice that was only supposed to be done by priests, and he lost the kingdom because he was impatient. This could present a serious problem for David. If David would have walked into that temple and just took the bread, it could have presented a very serious problem for him. But notice how he handled it. He lied, but he asked the priest. The priest who had the right to the bread took the bread and gave it to David. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I want to talk to you this morning about being a priest. David was acting somewhat like a priest, but he really wasn't a priest. He was performing one of the acts of a priest. He was taking some advantages of benefits of the priest, but he's not a priest. I'm going to start this morning by reading a verse out of 2 Timothy. The Lord brought this to my mind as I was thinking about today's message. Paul is encouraging his young protege, Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you learn from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Now notice what it says in verse 14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Guard the truth. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning. Warning signs, you have dropped your guard. Listen to what he tells Timothy. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted. And for him to say that you have to guard the truth implies that you may lay it down and somebody else take it. Or that you forget where you laid it and you lose it. Listen, nothing really stays where you lead it. If you lay something down, what does John 10 and 10 tell us that the thief comes to do? He's a, he's a thief. Expect a thief to steal. And if you lay something down, don't expect it to stay there and wait on you to come back and get it. Some things won't stay where you leave them. You have to maintain them. You have to protect them. And if you don't, expect a thief to steal them. So before we uh, began this series, I preached that sermon. Uh, uh, I, I preached it in two parts, and it was called Building Maintenance. And, and we talked about what the priest would, would do routinely to keep a proper temple because Paul called us the temple of the Holy Ghost. But that's not all Paul says you are. Paul says you are not just a building for the Holy Spirit. He also says twice in the same chapter that you are royal priests. Peter tells you that you are a royal priesthood. You. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you know anything about the Old Testament, the priests were a group of people that were allowed to do certain things that nobody else was allowed to do. So they were called priests. And everything else and everybody else had to come to the priest to find out what God wanted. They had to come to the priest in order to talk to God. They had to come to the priest in order to relate to God. Now that we are in the New Testament and the veil has been torn, 
You don't have to come to the priest to talk to God because you have a high priest who is seated at his right hand and has opened up heaven and given you the ability to be a priest yourself. You have access to heaven. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. However, with that access came a responsibility. And see, that, that, I, the problem that we have is that we love blessing. We don't like responsibility. But in order for you to have access to God, you have to be a priest. And in order to be a priest, it means you've got to be on duty. You have been called a kingdom of priests. Now, Peter tells us twice, you are a royal priesthood. So, I don't know if you see yourself that way, and it really doesn't matter because that's who you are. If you are a believer, the Bible says if you're a Christian, you are a kingdom of priests because you have access to God. And you are supposed to represent God to people and people to God. That's why you intercede and pray for folks. You're representing people to God. God, people that are far away from God, people that are running from God, people that don't care about God, you are interceding. You are representing them to God, and you're supposed to represent God to folks. And so you are a priest. You're a royal priesthood. You're all a minister. Man, everybody shut up. I, th- I think I got about seven, I got about seven uh, credentialed ministers in here. I thought at least they'd say Amen. But see, you don't have to be on staff at a church to be a minister. That's why it's very important that we guard the precious truth that is in us. Because it really begins with you individually. You have the truth in you. You need to guard the truth because you are a minister. You don't have to be, everyone in this room is a minister if you're a believer. So it doesn't matter if you've got a title of reverend, you are a minister. And I can't think about priests without thinking about their funny clothes. And as priests, we got, listen, we've got to know if we are priests, there's some garments we're supposed to put on. Now, I talked last week about the whole armor of God, and I gave you a demonstration of the whole armor of God. This, this morning, I'm going to go a different direction because you, you are a priest. You are a minister. And as priests, we got to put some things on like garments. And one of the themes of this series is the only signs that will hurt you are the ones you refuse to read and follow. And this morning, there's some important things that you need to guard in your life to get the most out of it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but before we get started this morning, every person in this room that is serving God without gladness, you need this message. Every person in this room that is serving God, but you feel stressed out beyond your imagination, torn in every direction, and heavy burdened day after day after day after day, you need to pay attention. So I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be distractions. There's going to be uh, influences from imps trying to get you to pay attention to other things. You need to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is telling you. I just feel compelled to tell you that this morning. Because there's going to be uh, influences trying to keep you off track. Because you're sitting here this morning, but you're not ready to receive. I I need you to receive this message this morning because it's going to benefit you. Listen to what the Bible tells us. I already quoted the back half of John 10.10. Thief cometh, but to kill, steal, and destroy. But the first half of that sermon, or first half of that scripture said this. Or the second half of that uh, scripture says this. But I have come that you may have life and have it 
One translation puts it like this, life to the fullest. Now I want to ask you something. Is that your testimony? Do you feel like you're living life to the fullest right now? Or do you feel like you're barely surviving? Do you feel like every day is just another grind and another heartache and another place to be miserable and you just can't wait till Jesus comes back or you taste sweet death? And I'm not exaggerating. I talk to some of you. I know that how some of you feel and I'm one of you. So I know what you're battling. I know what you're going through. Do you feel like you are living life to the full or do you feel like you're always running on empty? I need you as a priest to absorb this word. So I'm going to talk to priests this morning. I'm going to try to help us read any of the warning signs that we have dropped our guard in some very important areas. And there's five values that I think if you will learn how to take these values and put them on like a priestly robe, it will bless your life. I I believe if you learn these five values and practice them, you'll experience more of what God has to offer. In other words, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you need to dress for success. Will you do that? Yeah, you need to dress for success. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I'm going to talk about the priest's clothes, all right? It's going to get a little personal in here. Because we're going to talk about all of the clothes, even their undergutchies. Exodus chapter 28, verse 2, God begins to tell Moses how the priest is supposed to dress. And he says, Moses, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him. Priests are supposed to have dignity and honor. Their dress is supposed to give them dignity and honor. You know what that means? That means to set them apart. Make them distinctive. They need to know when they look at a priest that that's a priest. That's what a priest looks like, okay? And then he mentions five pieces of the garment that I'm going to talk to you about. And I'm actually going to read them in a different order than the scriptures lay out because I'm going to go from head to toe and then back to the head, okay? So the first one I want to give is in verse 36, Exodus 28 and 36. It says, make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. Stop right there. Look at that scripture. Do you see anything peculiar about that scripture? Notice that it says, holy to the Lord in all capital letters. Notice what it says. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it. And when it says a plate, that's not something you put your fried chicken on. Think of it like the plate on the front of a trophy. And this is a plate that the priest is going to wear. And they're going to wear it on their head. And it tells everybody, holy to the Lord. Oh, all my priests already resigned on me because you, on the first part, you already going, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know if I want to advertise that. Notice that it's all capital letters, holy to the Lord. That means when you saw a priest coming, you would see on their forehead that they were holy to the Lord. And, no, and notice with me, the first thing a priest should guard is their need for holiness. Oh, come on now. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up. (laughs) 
Exodus 28 and 37 says this. Fasten a blue cord to it and attach it to the turban. That means it's going to go on their, their hat. It is to be on the front of the turban. When they saw the priest coming, they were to see holy to the Lord on their head. So the first thing the priest would put on would be this hat, this turban, and it had engraved plate on it. And notice where it was, right over their mind. That means when you guard holiness, it starts in your mind. That's where the battle for holiness is. You think it's on, in Washington. You think it's because the Supreme Court does this, that, or the other. No, 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 no. Because what they do has absolutely no effect on you until you allow it to have an effect on you. Holiness is a battle of your mind. And God knows in this generation that we're living in right now that this is unfortunately something that is waning even in the church. The world is not the only people that has given up on holiness. Some churches... Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm going I'm to dedicate an entire message on the world, the systems, the age, and the church in this sermon series. But can I just drop a, 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 just a preview right here? There are people that call themselves believers and churches that call themselves Christian that are changing what the Word of God says because they don't agree with what God has to say that we have agreed on for eons and thousands of years. Because the culture has changed and they believe that God has to change because the culture changes and they don't have a backbone to stand up against the culture and declare holy to the... Now some of you priests are going to want to resign your positions after this one point because it's going to set you apart. It's going to make you different. And some Christian people, unfortunately in the world that we live in, is they are giving in to the pull of culture. Because culture is not happy that we just let them be. Culture in this day and age is requiring that we not only allow it, but we agree to it, and we affirm it. Now, I've read my Bible enough to know that the world is lost and undone. That I am not supposed to have authority over the world. Sinners going to sin. Crooks going to crook. Thieves going to steal. Liars going to lie. Deviants going to be deviant. That's what they're going to do because the love of God is not in their hearts. I have no Christian or spiritual authority over the world. However... I have to stand as one on my mind that has the imprint holy to the Lord. I can agree that you are free to be whoever you want to be. Live however you want to live. Do however you want to do. But I cannot affirm or accept it in my church. I cannot. 
I can tell you that you are allowed to think what you want to, have the opinion that you want to, that you may have people you love and uh, fellowship with. I can't tell you that that is wrong, but on a whole other level, I don't have a problem accepting people who live a different lifestyle than the Word says is possible, but there is no way, as long as there's breath in my lungs, that I can't agree with it or affirm it. I can't. I have across my forehead holy to the Lord, which means I can't go with every wind of doctrine that changes with the culture. But listen to me. There's some of you in this room right now that are thinking about other people, but you got the same challenges in your own life. Let me ask it this way. How many of you right now, don't raise your hand, priest, but how many of you right now are allowing things in your life that you know is not holy to the Lord? right now have things in your life that you have accepted that you normalize that you practice and you know God ain't pleased with it I was actually talking to a Christian not long ago not one in this church thank God but they said I don't know why the church makes such a fuss over things and, and, and talks about all these things and makes people feel uh, uh, certain kind of ways I, don't, I, I can go anywhere around anybody and none of it bothers me I said that's the problem some stuff ought to bother you. Some stuff ought to make you uncomfortable. Some stuff ought to make you creepy crawly up under your skin. Because the thing that's inside of you ought to irritate the thing that's inside of them because our cultures are not the same. We're clashing fundamentally. So there's places I can't go. There's things I can't talk about. There's things I can't see. There's things I can't participate in because I'm holy to the Lord. And it's more than just an emblem that I wear on a, a necklace around my neck or a bumper sticker on my car. It's written across the heart of God that lives on the inside of me. And His Spirit dictates what I can and what I can't do. Jesus told us, I want you to be in this world because I want you to have influence. I want you to be my ambassadors in this lost world. But you have to daily make up your mind that you're going to keep holiness. You're going to guard holiness because you can't allow the world to pull you into believing like them. It's getting quiet in here already. So how do we guard our need for holiness? I'll tell you the need that most of us don't practice enough. These are going to be very practical, okay? The first thing that you need to do to guard holiness is learning how to regularly tell your flesh, no. Can I get more countercultural than that? Because the culture you're living in tells you that your flesh tells you how you feel. Y'all nervous? Let me just testify. You ever been at Walmart or out at a restaurant and saw some toddler with their mama? And that toddler is convinced they are the leader of that relationship. I mean, they want something and don't get it. They scream. They don't like the situation that they're sitting in that buggy. They scream. And the pitch of that child's scream is about to give you an aneurysm. And mother acts like she can't hear it. 
Like, I don't know what frequency that child's scream is on, but I'm tuned into it. How are you ignoring it? Well, can I tell you that every person in this room has the same problem? You have a toddler down on the inside of you called your flesh. And that toddler screams every time it wants something that you don't give it or you give it something that it doesn't want. It wants what it wants exactly when it wants it, and when you don't provide it, it throws a little tantrum. Now, my body screams at me all the time. Y'all can tell I like food. That wasn't a joke. My wife's the only one that laughed. The rest of y'all was like, I ain't saying nothing. Listen, my body screams at me all the time, and when food appears, I just think about the Bible. Yeah, when, when food's in front of me, I just think about the Bible, because the Bible says the righteous shall eat the fat of the land. That's Scripture, y'all. I found that word. I searched until I found that Scripture. That's, that's a verse. I found that verse. Uh-huh. The, the righteous shall eat the fat of the land. So I just be eating little Debbie's and saying, I'm righteous tonight. But you need to know that there are times... That there are things put right in front of you that your body will want. Yes. And your mind will tell you, that's okay, you can have that. There are things that will be put in your life that your body will desire. Will make your mouth salivate. And your mind, your will, and your emotions will start lying to you and tell you, you deserve that. You earned that. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to feel love. You deserve to have a promotion. You deserve a fun time. But Proverbs 14 and 12 says there is a way that seems right to you. But the end of that thing is death. And I preached a few weeks ago, and some of you didn't pay attention, that the enemy is good at hiding the cost of failure. And when you start down the wrong path, something's got to die. And you are living it up in the moment, but what he's not showing you is at the end of the road, something is about to die. And we're supposed to regularly put to death the things of the flesh. Can I hear somebody say amen? The book of Romans tells me that I should not let my body have rule or dominion over my life. My body's not supposed to boss me. And this is exactly why I regularly practice fasting. Because I have to get used to telling my body, you can't have everything you want. I know some of y'all haven't fasted since the beginning of the year because you start every year with a Daniel fast or a Hezekiah fast or a Jonah in the whale fast. I don't know. We made up all kinds of them. Ain't nobody doing Jesus fast. I've noticed that. Everybody complains about the Daniel fast. But ain't nobody done 40 days, no food, no water. Anybody signing up for that one? But everybody at the beginning of the year wants to start with a fast, and here's what, I always, here's what I always hear. They always erroneously believe that when I get a fast going, I'm going to have a breakthrough, I'm going to see a miracle, I'm going to, I'm going to have some kind of benefit. But that's not why you fast. You fast because you're telling your body you're not in charge. 
You fast, and if you do it regularly, it is to keep your flesh under control so that your spirit is more powerful than your, spirit, than your body. And when your body starts screaming and throwing a temper tantrum like it's a toddler saying, I want that, I want that, your spirit has enough power to say, sit down and shut up. You're not in control here. So, so, so we have been talking a lot about Jesus in the wilderness and the fact that he goes into the wilderness. It wasn't bad enough he was in the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days. And, and the fast was not the temptation. The temptation came after the fast. We talked about that. The fast prepared him for the temptation. I'm going to say that again because it's important you get this. The fast prepared him for the temptation because when the temptation came his body had to be used to hearing the word no and so many of us fail regularly we celebrate in the church on Sunday because the anointing is flowing and the saints are praising and the angels are rejoicing and we celebrate and we have a shindig in the church but we have a poor committed Christian life and it's because we are up for the high rise but when the time comes for us to resist temptation we don't know how to do it because we've never been prepared for it. Listen to me, preparation is never wasted time. God is preparing you in this season for the season you haven't walked into yet. And fasting prepares your body for denial. Fasting prepares your body so when the temptation comes, you're able to tell your body, you're already used to not getting everything you want. My flesh wants stuff I know I can't have. Hear me. You guys think I'm the only one who have to walk in holiness because I'm a preacher. You think hell is intimidated because I'm an ordained bishop? It's a piece of paper. The enemy doesn't care. And you think I'm the only one supposed to guard my witness and guard my holiness and worry about my testimony and walk a certain way because I'm the man of God? I got news for you, woman of God, man of God. We're all the priests in his kingdom, and we're all supposed to have holy to the Lord. Too many people hold the, the pastor and his family to an extreme level and don't hold themselves to one at all. And it, oh boy, the church getting quiet now. See, this is foreign stuff. Nobody talks about this anymore because this is old-fashioned. If I was preaching this 25 years ago, y'all would be shouting me down. But now these days, if you don't give me 12 steps to a miracle or five ways to my breakthrough, we can't get with it. Because we're real good at the coming out part. But we don't like the coming in part. Because we have not prepared ourselves. And we got a generation that is increasingly telling each other, hear me, you can trust your feelings. You can trust your body. You can be whatever you choose. Now we got people changing their genders that God gave them based on how they feel. Hear me. I was never supposed to listen to my feelings to determine my identity. At all. I'm supposed to make my feelings succumb to my spirit because my spirit is in tune with my Father, the Creator who made me before the foundations of the world. That's my identity. 
I was never intended to listen to my body. I'm, I promise you, if I listened to my body, I would be a 1,000 pounds. And if I listened to my feelings, I would not be in this pulpit this morning. Because my feelings have taken me a lot of roads, but preaching was never one of them. Y'all not going to help me. So our flesh will lie to us. And we're living in a generation where denial is a foreign concept. They don't want to be told no. So the fast is not the fight. The fast is preparation for the fight. So I can face the temptation. I can face the craving. I can face the pulling and the tugging and the sweating because I have told my body in preparation, you can hear no and like it. Oh, I was the only one raised by Gene Mitchum. I can tell that. (sighs) Pastor, that's hard. I get that. I do. I get it. Uh, but the problem is today, we're not messing up. We just stay messed. We all mess up. We all drop the ball. But our problem is we're not messing up. We're just staying in a mess all the time. And we think whatever we want, we get. And then we'll just make up the excuses to keep it. i got to move on because y'all mad at me. Uh, denial produces discipline. Denial produces discipline. So when the enemy begins to attack Jesus had a point of reference for his suffering. (laughs) You ever been around a kid that's never been told no? And you get to be the bearer of bad news? You get to be the first one that says, don't do that? The look of shock on their face? You can tell they have never heard that word before? Like it is a foreign concept to them, right? You've been around children like that. Some of your flesh acts the same way. Because you have provided and given in and succumbed to every lust and every temptation over the course of your existence and your flesh has never and the first time you say no Jesus don't like ugly it goes it doesn't know what no means because you've not practiced it but denial produces discipline and I just want to remind you guys that you don't listen to your feelings you're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit And from time to time, you have to starve your flesh so the spirit can come alive. Because that is the crown of righteousness over your mind. The second thing is that a priest got to guard their heart. Look at this, Exodus 28, 29, and 30. Whenever Aaron starts into the holy place, he will bear the names of the son of Israel over his heart. And the breastplate piece of decision as a continual memorial before the Lord. Stop right there. When Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names. You see that? He's going to bear the names of the sons of Israel over his what? He's got names over his what? He's got names over his what? He's got names over his heart. And it's called the breastplate of what? The breastpiece of decisions. I want you to know what you just read. Look at every detail in that scripture because it's important. The names written over his heart cause him to make decisions. I I, I just preached enough for you to go home and chew on that for the rest of your day. The names that is written over his heart cause him to make decisions. This was actually a breast piece. It was hung around the neck and it would be kind of a rectangular shaped item and it covered the the heart area the chest area and in the priest case he had the 12 names of the tribes of Israel and it was because it was because 
the names of Israel was supposed to be over his heart and it helped him make decisions for the tribes. He had their names over his heart that helped him make decisions. And I tell you all the time, you are the sum total of your relationships. Hello? Good or bad, the people who raised you, the people who taught you, the people who mentored you, the people you got close to, those people have rubbed off on you. Let me prove it to you. There's not one person in this room, unless you go back and check your notes, can tell me ten sermons I've ever preached. But every one of you know ten people, either good or bad, that has influenced your life. You know why? Because you are more influenced by relationship than you are information. Influ uh, relationships influence you much more than information does. I carry over my heart, let me just testify. I carry over my heart Amanda Mitchum. That's easy for you to see. That's easy for you to understand, right? I carry over my heart Alyssa and Jared and Hannah and Mason and Veda and Rachel and my family, okay? That's easy for you to see. That's easy for you to recognize. But there's other names over my heart too. I carry over my heart Raven Haddock, the pastor who recognized a call in my life and opened his pulpit for me for the first time on a Wednesday night when nobody else ever would have done that, but he heard from God. He recognized a call on my life that nobody else knew except I felt it. I carry over my heart the Conleys, and the Innsmingers, and some of you that was here when I got here, and the church was in bad, bad shape, but you held on, and you believed a 20-something-year-old who came up out of the coal fields who talked funny, and I said I had a vision, and that God sent me, and you believed it. I carry you over my heart. I, ca I carry people like that over, over my heart. But the problem is that you, just like me, also have names over your heart that don't need to be there. You've got names over your heart that have wounded you. They hurt you. They scarred your life. But they are still written over your heart. And you make the decisions that you make because of what they did to you in the past. Oh, you don't like this. This is too real for you. I had a fourth grade teacher who hated my guts. She hated, I, the feeling was mutual, but she hated my guts. And she was a grown woman. She should have known better than to treat a child the way she treated me. And I did, not, I did not treat her well. I did not treat her with respect. But she was a grown woman, and I was a fourth grader. And that woman hated my guts. She would lock me in the coat closet to keep me away from the other kids, dare me to turn the lights on. It was a different world than it is today, but she, she was atrocious. She was a vile human being. And I still to this day remember her putting me against the wall and shaking her finger in my face and saying, you'll never amount to anything. And I wrote her name over my heart. And can I tell you, for years, I tried to live out her prophecy. I never expected to make it to the age of 30. I was going to live hard and fast until then because I was not going to amount to anything. And it didn't matter who told me anything different. It didn't matter because I had it written over my heart. I had her name written over my heart and I lived what she spoke to me. I'd never amount to nothing. And then when Jesus got a hold of me,
And he turned my life around. And I surrendered my heart to him. And he wrote a different name over my heart. I found out that I was still trying to prove something to that woman because I would prove to her I would be something. And I would build a church and I would outwork everybody. I'd work harder than everybody else. And I would do things to make a name for myself and to make God great. And I, would, and I realized I was trying to prove something to a ghost because her name was written over my heart and she was dead and gone, but she was still alive in here. I had to repent of all the decisions I had made through the years trying to prove something to a woman who wasn't even watching anymore because I had to take that name off and write a different name over it. Worthy, son, pastor, loved, valuable. Those names had to go so that I could replace the name over my heart. One of the primary goals that we have here at Promise of Victory is to be relational. Hello? Um, in order to accomplish this, we have things like, if you uh, were uh, blessed to come down to Alicia's house, thank you. I want to publicly thank you. It was a wonderful time. Listen, we don't do that just so you have something to do on a Friday night. Can I tell you why we have things like life groups and the collective? Once a month, the women have the collective. Once a month, the men have the collective. We have a Thursday night class called the Disciples' Path. And, and can I tell you that you should be involved in as many of these things as possible. We have a grief support group. We have these things not because we want you to stay busy. Can I tell you why? It, you're in a room right now with a bunch of people, but nobody knows what you're going through. So, so, so what's going to happen is, we're going to come into this room this morning, we're going to celebrate, you're going to hear the best sermon you've ever heard, come on now, but you're going to leave the same way you came in, you brought a problem with you and you're going to take a problem with you, because you never let somebody know, groups is the place where you get close enough to people that you get confident enough to pull off the mask that you wear to church on Sunday. And here's why some of you won't go, because you feel too vulnerable to go, because you feel like if I pull the mask off, they're all going to say, really? You do that? Ew. Really? That's who you are? You click on that? You look at that? You talk like that? You go there? That's who you are? But they're not going to say that. You know what they're going to say? Oh, you too? I thought it was just me. Let me prove it to you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, who is him? It wasn't a trick question. We, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from wickedness. Right? If you confess your sins to who? God. So God. 1 John 9 says, confess your sins to God because he's faithful and just to forgive you. But look what James 5.16 says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. So you're supposed to confess your sins to God for forgiveness. 
But you got to confess your, your faults to each other for healing. There are certain things you will never get healed from until you talk to somebody else about it. Until you come into a place where you get vulnerable and real and raw and take the mask off and you are able to confess your faults with somebody else. you got to go to God's people for healing. And that's why we're a church of groups. We're not a church of groups just because we want you to stay busy. Every one of you need to get in one of these groups and participate. But don't participate by coming the same way you come on Sunday morning. I mean, get close enough to somebody to where you can say, I'm battling this. I need prayer for this. Where you can become real and vulnerable because God doesn't want you living isolated. The third thing that the priest should guard, and this is going to get me in trouble, is rest. Says the pastor that's already preached 50 minutes. And I'm only on point three. Exodus chapter 28 and 39 says, Weave the tunic of fine linen and make weave, weave the tunic of fine linen and make them make the turban of fine linen. Okay, this is the priest's oh, it's his underwear. Here's what God said. I want you to make the priest's underwear of linen. I don't know if too many of you know what linen is, why people like to wear linen in the summer. It's got a wide weave. It's not close-knit. It's got a wide, wide weave, and that way when you wear it in hot weather, it's breezy. Hello? In other words, you can wear it. Look, look what Ezekiel 44 and 17 says. This is the commentary of priestly garments. When they enter the gates of the inner court, this is the priest, they are to wear fine linen clothes. They must not wear any wool garments while ministering at the gates inside the temple. What's the difference in linen and wool? Here it is in verse 18. They are to wear linen turbans on their head and linen undergarments around their waist. They must not wear anything to make them sweat. Priests aren't supposed to sweat. Pri priests are not supposed to represent busyness and hurriedness. All my amens just resigned. Here's what God wants the priest to represent. The spirit of rest. And that's the value that I am encouraging you to guard. We're going to guard holiness, say amen. And, and, and we're going to guard relationships, say amen. But I'm telling you that we need to enter into a season where we begin to guard rest. Because this culture has made it a champion's cry that you work a thousand hours a week. Burn the wick at both ends. And that's supposed to make you something. But this is why so many of us are wore out. I say us because I am the chief amongst you sinners. Hello. Can I ask you a question? Do I, do I, are you still tracking me? Do I need to quit? Can I ask you a question? Why do we think that only nine of God's commandments are worth following? Why is the one that says keep the Sabbath and keep it holy? Why do we think that's the one we can break and God won't care? Because very few of us honor a Sabbath day. We honor a Sabbath hour and a half. Are you with me? 
I'm not fussing at you. I'm talking to me, and you're just overhearing me. Because we are encouraged to rest. Like, shut it down. Hello? Spend time with the Lord one day a week and let everything else go. And look at me. Look at my eyes. Everybody, look at me. Some of you need to rest. You're doing too much. Your life is chaos. And there's a reason for it. You need to come to church, worship for an hour or so, go home, maybe take a nap, maybe watch some football, maybe get a good meal, come back to church tonight. The grass can wait. Hear me? That house will still be dirty. The dishes will still be there. You need to rest, and I'm going to tell you why. We are too busy. The Lord's really been dealing with me about this because our stress levels are through the roof. And I say us because I am right there with you. I'm at a fever pitch. I never feel like I shut down. Even when I'm supposed to be resting, I've got a million things I'm supposed to be doing. I should be over here, and I should be doing that, and I, should need, I, mean, I need to make that phone call, and I need to take care of this. And I, ne- I am too busy. No wonder I'm stressed out. No wonder I'm ready to snap all the time. No, no wonder that when I walk into the house, the dogs want to run and hide. It's nobody's fault but my own. Listen, I did the math. I'm so far behind. I'm going to be 50 in a few months. I'm so far behind. If I'm going to get everything done that I need to get done, I can never die. Depression is running rampant in the kingdom of God. We got so many things on our to-do list, we're never going to get to done. And that's not God's plan for your life. Jesus said, I want you to have an abundant life. That's not an abundance of stress. An abundance of ulcers in your mouth. He wants you to feel like an abundant liver. And, and, and can, I, can I tell you about the ninth commandment? Can I, can I just tell you about the one that we just don't think we have to listen to? about the Sabbath day. That's not just a commandment to remind you to go to church. There was different laws and different commandments in the Old Testament. I don't have time to get into this. I've I've already preached too long. There were different laws and different commandments in the Old Testament. Some of them were to keep you in line with God. Some of them were to keep you healthy. Like when he told you not to drink dirty water. Like when he told you not to eat rotten flesh. When he told you not to touch dead bodies. Those were commandments, but they were commandments not because he didn't want you to do those things, but because he knew that you was pretty dumb and you'd do stuff that was going to hurt you. So some of his laws and commandments was to keep you healthy. And one of those commandments was to remember the Sabbath. To remember the Sabbath is not just to remind you to come to church. It's to have you take a day and rest. Because you don't rest enough. God rested. His example to us was to rest. Consider this your warning sign. You're doing too much. Y'all know when the angel visited Elijah, and Elijah was so depressed he wanted to die, and he was hiding in a cave of depression, and an angel visited him? You remember that story? And there was a fire, and he wasn't in the fire, and an earthquake, and he wasn't in an earthquake, and he was a wind, and he wasn't in the wind, but there was an angel there. And, and that was in the cave, and, and then Elijah went up and got up under the broom tree, and he says, I just want to die, God. That's depression. That's a spirit of suicide. And an angel appeared to him. 
You know what the angel said? You would have thought the angel would have said, give me an offering or build an altar, have a prayer meeting. That's what we do. Let me deliver that evil spirit out of you. You know what the angel said? You need to eat. And then if you ate, he said, you need a nap. And when he woke up from his nap, he said, won't you eat again? And then if you ate again, he says, take another nap. That's the Lord's prescription for depression. Eat and sleep. Eat and sleep. You're doing too much. Some of y'all are like, I've got that. I, I, I've got that. Every relaxed person in here that doesn't have black bags under their eyes, they have got that prescription down pat. Take some, take some tips from your teenagers. Snacks and naps, they know how to do that. My wife knows how to snack and nap. So she, that, but that was God's first prescription for depression. I, I just love the Bible. I really do. I mean, it is so practical, right? And some of you are going too hard. And listen to me. Listen to me. Everything that is doable is not sustainable. You can do it for now. You can do it for this season. But please don't think you're going to be able to sustain it forever. And if you do sustain it, you're going to lose something else. I just got goosebumps all over me telling you that point. If you do sustain that, you're going to lose something else. Because you can't do all of that and maintain your family and keep Christ first and keep your mind and keep your health. Something's going to fall apart if you don't quit chasing everything. So just because it's doable does not mean it's sustainable. And here's one way to do that. The wisdom of eliminating the non-essential. I've got to come to church. I've got to keep Christ first. I've got to spend time with my wife. I've got to have family time. I've got to have devotion time. I've got to go to work. But there are some things that I can say no to. Or I'll get to that later. Hebrews chapter 4 says that you have to work to enter into God's rest. It says there is a rest for God's people, but you've got to work to enter into it. Which means sometimes you're just going to have to say, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to sit down. And me sitting down is healthier for me than going and... I've got to move on. It, well, I'm already in an hour, so it, let, 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 me, let me just end it by... Let me just end it. Come on up here, honey. The fourth thing was we got to guard our joy. The priest would come into God's presence, and he had a robe on. And he was like Santa Claus, but it wasn't red. It was blue. I don't have time to give you scriptures. To script. They can throw the scriptures up there, but I ain't going to read them. Um, he had a blue garment on with bells around it. So it sounded like Santa Claus when he was walking into God's presence. Jingle, jingle, jingle in. And he'd spend time offering a sacrifice, and then he'd come out. And the people would hear him coming, jingle, 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 jingle. So instead of a red outfit, it was like a blue, it was a blue outfit. I'm so sorry. It was a blue outfit, but it was jingle, 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 jingle. It was literally the sound of the joy of God's presence. The people could hear that he went into God's presence, and when he came out, it was literally making the sound of joy that I was with the Lord. That was what the people observed. They observed the priest has been in God's presence and he is joyful. Can I tell you that the world needs a place where they can come to and find people with a smile on their face? This place needs to be full of priests that have the joy of the Lord as their strength. Not because you need to fake it. I'm not, listen, one of the dumbest things that, that the world will tell you is you fake it till you make it. And you can do that for a while, but I'm telling you, you need to have real genuine joy. Because God has been good to you. 
God has rescued you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. It's by Him that you are. And everything that you have is because He has sustained you to this point. You've got a reason to worship. You've got a reason to make His goodness known. And when people come into this room full of God's priests, they're carrying a garment of heaviness. And you need to be able to tell them where they can trade that garment of heaviness for a garment of joy. You need to carry the spirit of joy with you. A smile on your face. You got one of them goofy, crazy smiles where people look at you and say, Why are you always smiling? You say, Because the Lord is good. Because I am, I am going to rejoice in the morning He is good, in the afternoon He is good, and when the sun goes down, my God is still good and worthy of my praise. The, the, I, I've got a reason to smile. I, I know, I'm not telling you you've got to be like that all the time because into every life a little rain must fall. But I'm telling you that the world is looking because the world is getting darker. And, and when they go out amongst the world, they're finding nothing to be rejoicing about. But when they come into a house where God's priests are, we ought to be able to point them to a cross that redeems, that restores, and fills their life that is void of happiness with joy. And last but not least, you need to guard your voice. Again, I don't have time to read scriptures, but you need to guard your voice. We're living in a world where everybody's angry. And got something to say. We're living in a world where the whole existence is reply, reply, reply. Social media is all about replying to people that I don't agree with. Can I tell you this morning? You are a priest. Ephesians tells us not to let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only that which builds others up. I'm going to be preaching more on that in this series. You have a responsibility to represent God to His people. You've got to guard your voice. What, what are you saying? Can, can I be real honest with you? I don't think I can. I'm, I'm going to hurt your feelings. Some of you have become so jaded and so calloused that you don't, re you don't recognize anymore that the words that come out of your mouth represents God to the people you're speaking to. Your emotions and your feelings have become so twisted up around your spirit that what's coming out of your mouth is unwholesome. And I'm not talking about cussing people out or saying I hate you. It could be much more subtle than that, but it's not beneficial. It's not valuable. And as a priest, you need to guard what you say. Because you represent God to your family. Husbands, you represent God to your wives. Wives, you represent God to your husbands, to your children. You represent God when you go to work. Let me just tell you what I think. Are you sure you want to do that? Because what you think may not be the mind of Christ. What you think may not be wholesome or beneficial. It might be correct, but not worth saying. 
You can speak facts and still be wrong. Because as an ambassador, you are representing God to people. And here's what I knew about Jesus when he had interactions with other people. He didn't always say what I would have said. There's some times when I read his dialogue with other people, I say, I wouldn't have said that. I'd have gave them a piece of my mind. When John and James wanted to call down fire from heaven, if I was Jesus, I'd have been like, just one time, boys. Just, just one. But you represent, as a priest, you represent God to everybody you speak to. So how you doing with that? How you doing with the words that come out of your mouth? Some people say, I just give them a piece of my mind. Some of your minds is too small to be giving pieces of it away. You might want to think twice before you do all that. <laughs> you give away too much already. But I have to guard what I say by the spirit that lives in me. Sometimes there's things that I want to say to my children. It's not wholesome. And I, it's not wrong. It's not incorrect. It's not. But if it's mean, if it's anger, if it's abusive, is that the way you want to represent God? I don't want to do it. I, I don't want to do that. I've got to do better than that. Maybe I'm the only one in here that's even concerned about that, but it lays heavy on my heart because the world, I hate to use this term, but it's becoming more and more evident. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, and the church doesn't seem to even know how to handle it because we're reacting to them the way they react to each other, and the world doesn't even know we're any different than they are. I need the joy. i, I got to guard my joy, I gotta guard my words, I gotta guard my holiness, I gotta guard my relationships. I'm a priest. I'm a priest. I gotta guard these things or I'm gonna lose it. If I don't guard it, I'm gonna lose it. I can't just come into church and leave, come into church and leave, come into church and leave. I gotta guard this stuff. Pastor, I'm tired. I'm glad you're tired and I'm glad you're here and tired. Because now you're surrounded by folks that can help you pray into strength. Pastor, I've been battling for a while. I'm glad you're here while you're battling because you're surrounded by people. But you got to be vulnerable and you got to quit carrying that mess all on your own. You, you're here. Take advantage of being here. Take advantage of being around prayer warriors. Take advantage of being around people full of faith. Take advantage of it. Utilize it. God has given you a great gift, priest. He called you into the priesthood, surrounded you by other priests. And when one of you's up, the other is down, and we're here to help pick the one up. They can't pick themselves up. So I want you to practice this morning. This is going to be our altar service. I don't want you to run out. I know some of you probably have to go. I was long-winded again. It's not even called long-winded when you do it every Sunday, is it? Yeah, it's just normal. Yeah. <laughs> long-winded would be like, oh, that's a surprise. But it's not a surprise when he does it all the time, is it? It's not even out of character. But I want you to practice. That, that, that's what I want to do as an altar this morning. I want you to find four or five people, and some of you are going to be so uncomfortable, you're going to be as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. 
because you've never done anything like this before. But I want you to use your priestly gift this morning. I want you to find some people. Might be two, might be 22. And I want you to look at them. I want you to say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that we're together. I'm glad that Jesus has called us both into the priesthood. Is there anything I can help you pray about? Here's something you can help me pray about. I want you to use your gift this morning. I know we're used to hurrying in and hurrying out. Don't do that. Don't do that today. Don't do that today. We're not going to come up and pray. I mean, if you want to come up and pray at the altar, you're more than welcome to do that. But I want you to use your gift. And it's going to, it's going to stretch some of you because you've never done it before. But you need to guard. You need to learn how to practice saying words of affirmation. Things that are positive. Quit, quit parroting what you hear the news say. And instead, repeat what you heard your father say. Tell somebody before they leave, you're valuable. God loves you. Je Jesus, I see Jesus in you. See, I can say that when I look at Michelle, because I, I see Jesus in you. And, and I'm not saying that to make her feel good. I want to say that because that's my duty. I'm a priest. I'm supposed to tell you what God thinks about you. God thinks you're better than what you're doing right now, Brother Mark. That no matter how good you're doing, God thinks you can do even better because He believes in you. He, he believes that you can be a mighty warrior in His army. He believes that your prayers can make a difference. Not just for you, but for your children. And your prayers can make a difference for other people. God believes that about you. See, that's me being a priest. I'm representing God to His people. I want you to do that this morning. Pastor, I ain't comfortable doing that. Ask the Spirit to help you get comfortable because you need to do that it's one of the things you need to guard because you're going to repeat some other stuff this week won't you practice repeating what your father says will you do that with me will you stand all over the building I'm going to pray I'm going to pray as the priest of this house I'm going to pray I'm going to pray that the Lord lays some people on your heart right now and that as he lays them on your heart you're going to go and engage them and it might be something very simple Especially those of you that's not used to doing it. But I want you to step out of your box. Become a priest. Because if you can't do it in here, in this safe environment, how are you ever going to do it out there in a hostile one? You're a priest. You're called into the ministry. Not to hold a microphone necessarily, but you're representing God to people. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I, I ask the Holy Spirit to order the steps and the mind of each person in this room. Let us take up this mandate as priests in your house. Lay right now on the hearts of every person in here someone that they can encourage, someone that they need to ask for prayer or someone that they need to ask is in need of prayer. Give them your heart right now. Order their steps right now and lead us all through this day and let us find rest until we get back here tonight for church in Jesus name God bless you you good looking bunch of priests